Tearing Down Walls, a Sunshine Life podcast with your host, Sylvia Cunningham. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Tearing Down Walls on Sunshine Live. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. Every month, I join you from Berlin in a transatlantic dialogue with Germans and Americans to talk about the things that unite and divide us. As we head into fall, the pandemic hasn't gone away. But with vaccines readily available in our two countries, the odds are different. So how are Germany and the United States restarting university and cultural offerings safely? Are we closer to getting our old freedoms back, or is there still no end in sight? Joining me to break down the ups and downs of Pandemic 2.0 is Eric Kirschbaum. He's an American journalist who's been living in Germany for several decades, and he is also the executive director of the German-American exchange program RIAS. Eric, thanks for being here. I'm glad to join you. So, Eric, you recently wrote an article about very frustrated European travelers that aren't allowed into the U.S. right now because of the continued ban. What did you hear from them? Yeah, it's really annoying for uh, millions of Europeans who really want to get to the United States but can't because the U.S. still has a ban on most EU countries in the Schengen area. It um, was hoped to be lifted months ago. The EU lifted a similar ban on Americans in June, and everybody expected at the time that um, it was just a matter of weeks before the U.S. would lift its travel restrictions on Europeans, but they haven't. So there's this, you can imagine, there's millions of Europeans or people who live in Europe who really need to be in the United States, German, German companies, German business people, German students, uh, British students, all, all across the EU, people who really need to be in the U.S. They have relatives, they have parents, they have children in the United States, and they can't visit them. They're, they're not allowed to go. Um, it's a presidential proclamation that Trump signed and Biden extended that just does not allow uh, Europeans into the United States right now. And of course, there is this very apparent imbalance because American travelers are allowed in the EU. How do you think this affects the transatlantic relationship? Well, it's definitely a burden. And the German government is working behind the scenes to try to pressure the Biden administration to review this and to change the rules, especially the German government does not understand why vaccinated EU citizens are not allowed to travel to the United States. And a lot of German companies do have operations in the United States. About a million Americans work for German companies. And if the German officials and executives from these companies can't go to the United States, it's a real problem for the German companies. And similar with exchange programs like RIAS and others, it's just very, very complicated and difficult to get to the United States. And it, it just, it, it's so imbalanced. It's, it's really unfair from the European point of view. They open the doors for the Americans, but the Americans keep the doors closed to the Europeans. Why? And you mentioned there's pressure behind the scenes. Is there any glimmer of U.S. President Joe Biden overturning the restrictions anytime soon? There was hope in July when Merkel met Biden in Washington and Merkel brought up the subject and Biden promised to study it. And he he said he brought his COVID team right into the meeting and they talked about it and they promised to review it. But a week later, they said, sorry, we can't change it. And the main reason is, is because of the rise of the Delta variant in the United States as well as in Europe. And um, there's just a fear of making any changes right now. Um, but it, it doesn't make sense because vaccinated people from Europe would really not pose much of a threat at all to the United States. And it's becoming more and more of a problem, not just a pain in the neck, but it's becoming a real problem. And as you mentioned, it's putting, putting some strains on transatlantic relations. Now, as an American citizen, you, of course, are allowed to travel back to the U.S. And you just came back from a trip to California. 
How was your travel experience? Well, it was a real nightmare because my two teenage sons have a German passport and um, our trip got delayed by a day and we had all kinds of hassles because their German passports were not accepted at first and I had to prove that they were my my sons with a birth certificate and then the a regular birth certificate wasn't good enough. It had to be a certified translation into English. So just all these hassles and hurdles, I've never had as many problems in my life going to the United States and I just didn't really understand why. I mean, what's the point of keeping out these Europeans? And in California, you saw all over the place how empty a lot of the tourist spots were. And I can just imagine the pain that these American companies and businesses that rely on tourists, they must be really suffering this year because there's not only no Germans coming, but no Europeans. There's about 14 million Europeans who visit the United States every year. Over 2 million of them are German, and they're all not going there this year. How, how This must be having a huge impact on companies across the United States that rely on tourism. So, Eric, you just returned from the U.S. When you look at how the pandemic is being handled there versus in Germany, what sticks out to you? One thing that strikes me in both countries is how similar the um, people opposed to getting vaccinated are. Um, you talk to them, you try to understand why they don't want to get vaccinated, and there just seems to be a lot of strange reasons in both countries and irrational reasons. People don't really seem well-informed or they don't want to be well-informed, and so the unvaccinated segment of the population is living dangerously, but they're also causing problems in both parts of the world. And there's a lot of similarities, a lot of belief in fake news and things like that. So there are some similarities, but there are differences. Um, Yeah, explain a little bit more about those differences. Yeah, it seems very political and ideological in the United States. Um, Most of the unvaccinated are in four states in the southeast, And surprise, surprise, most of the hospitalizations are in the same states in the southeast United States. So it's, once again, it's another division in the United States where politics divides things. And a lot of the unvaccinated people are people who live in red states and don't believe um, in the government and have have a problem with it. Whereas in Germany, it's less of a political issue. There are holdouts. There are people who don't want to be vaccinated but it has more to do with fear of the vaccination and fear of the unknown, of um, the lacking um, liability for the pharmaceutical companies, things like that. It's fascinating to see the differences in the two countries. Yet the bottom line is it's both countries have a pretty high level of vaccination. It's really just a question of which country will get the final boost to get up to 80 or 90 percent, and how will they get there? Right, and 80 to 90 percent, that is that key figure that health experts have said is necessary to achieving herd immunity. But another key aspect of this phase of the pandemic has been testing. And for the past couple of months in Germany, a negative rapid COVID-19 test granted a person basically the same privileges as either being vaccinated against or recovered from COVID-19. But that's changing, right? In Germany, it's interesting that the testing, people have been able to get tests for free until now. But in October, the government's going to take away the free testing for the unvaccinated. And that will be interesting to see how that plays out. There might be more pressure on the unvaccinated to get vaccinated. Um, You see this gradually growing in Germany. Um, um, Some soccer teams like FC Cologne are only allowing vaccinated people and people who've recovered into the stadium. A test won't do anymore. And I'm I'm interested to see 
if more and more companies and businesses in Germany start doing that, forcing people indirectly to get vaccinated or to stay away. So it's really, really interesting to see how the level of vaccinations in the EU and the United States will continue to rise, how interested the public will be in actually getting vaccinated. It's, um, it's really interesting. Throughout the pandemic, German government officials were always saying that there would not be a mandatory vaccine requirement. Some opposition parties here, though, like the pro-business Free Democratic Party, have said that by withholding certain privileges from unvaccinated Germans, it is kind of a vaccine requirement through the back door. Do you think that a vaccine requirement is coming? Uh, It's hard to imagine them doing a mandate in Germany or the United States to get vaccinated. Um, They promised they wouldn't do it, and I don't see that coming. But um, I think private companies and businesses and airlines, I think they're going to more and more require people to be vaccinated. And that's that's opinion polls show most people are totally in favor of that. It hasn't really boiled over in anger yet, but at some point there might be anger in both countries among the vaccinated, the majority, against the unvaccinated, because everybody tells us that the way to get rid of the corona problem is to have a very high level of vaccination rates so that the virus dies out. And the longer the virus keeps circulating, the more risk there is of these variants like Delta, which could throw a big spanner in the work. So it it's hasn't become violent or aggressive, but it's getting increasingly um, testy in both parts of the world among the vaccinated towards the unvaccinated. So, I mean, some people call it um, a mandate through the back door, but I think that's a ridiculous thing to say. The government isn't mandating it, but the government is happy to keep seeing the pressure raised on the people who don't want to get vaccinated. Eric Kirschbaum is a stringer for the LA Times based in Berlin and executive director of the German-American exchange program, RIAS. Thanks so much for joining me, Eric. Well, thank you. Tearing Down Walls is a co-production of Sunshine Life and college radio station WNHU. 88.7 FM out of West Haven. University is back in session for many students across the U.S. this month. With the pandemic still looming large, what will this semester look like? Joining me now is Savannah Papuga. She's a dental hygiene student at the University of New Haven in Connecticut, which is home to our partner radio station, WNHU. Welcome, Savannah. Thank you so much for having me. Also with us is Jonathan Droisch from the umbrella organization of student bodies in Germany called the FZS. He's also a student at the University of Tübingen. Thanks for joining us, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. Savannah, let's start with you. You will soon be back on campus for an internship, but there are a lot of students who are already there. What have you heard? What's the mood like? From what I know of, a lot of people are just really excited to finally be back on campus and in that college environment that we all long desire. But I know that it's still kind of in the COVID atmosphere, pandemic atmosphere, because they're still enforcing mask mandates inside, but it's a little bit different outside now. So before you were always wearing a mask, but now on campus, if you're fully vaccinated, you can remove your mask outdoors. They're really trying to make sure that the majority of the student body is vaccinated. But if you have a medical reason stating not, um, then you're not, of course, forced into having the vaccination. From what I know of, they're at like a 90% like rate for a lot of the students being vaccinated. 
Um, and so I think that's awesome because that just makes it not only safer for everyone, but now they're getting the opportunity to do more things and be able to go and do events and fun carnivals and things like we used to do on campus. So I'm pretty sure just everyone's just really excited to finally be back in person. And Jonathan, German universities don't start again until October. How are they preparing for the autumn? Will you be back on campus? German universities right now are preparing for a semester on campus. And they're quite sure about this. I'm not so sure that this will actually happen. Because as you said, October is actually not tomorrow, but um, quite some time away. And currently the, num- the, the COVID cases are rising again. And I think all of this will affect if the universities will actually be able to go back to campus and away from online lessons. And I mentioned you're part of the student organization FZS. Can you explain what it is you focus on? We focus on all kinds of topics. We obviously, our our major topic is to actually represent students' interests. And we do that in different ways. We focus on obviously social policies, but also international work, gender equality, financial issues regarding the universities and so on. Savannah mentioned vaccines being something that really can get university life back on track. Is that something your organization talks about, Jonathan? And do you have any idea what the vaccination rate is among students? A lot of universities started to roll out their own vaccination centers for students. So I think that was quite good. And most students are vaccinated. Um, I don't have numbers for all of Germany right now, but my own university, University of Tübingen, sad that about 80% of their students are vaccinated now. So I'm quite optimistic that it's actually enough to go back to on-campus life. And Savannah, as a student who's studying health, have you been talking to fellow students and trying to persuade people to get the vaccine? And what are the factors that are propelling people to get it? I feel that part of the driving force for people to get vaccinated is kind of like keeping your family safe and being able to see people. And then second, a lot of places are going to start asking, you know, can you confirm that you are a vaccinated student specifically? You know, there's a lot of colleges and universities around me that it was either you are vaccinated or you're not coming on campus. And so with that, you know, students are so hungry to just go back to where things used to be. I personally Um, Never really was on top of people saying like, oh, like, well, you know, the vaccine does all of these positive things, like maybe you should get it. It was more like, you know what, if you don't want it, that's your choice and your decision, but consider the benefits and maybe look into it a little more. So you both have clearly been entrenched in the complications of being a student amid the pandemic. Jonathan, can you talk more about the general student experience in Germany? I mean, do you think students were still receiving a good education? Um, it really depended on, on your teachers, on your professors. Because when the pandemic started, almost no one actually had any skills to teach online courses. Like there were very few lecturers who had taken any classes before on how to teach online courses. Some of them didn't even take any courses on how to teach at all, because in Germany you don't need this qualification, actually. You just need um, scientific qualifications to become a university lecturer. And I heard from lots of people that many lecturers actually were really motivated and 
develop new kinds of seminars, but also from lots of people that they really their courses were really bad. They didn't have the opportunity to, you know, pose any questions or actually get into touch with, with their lecturers. Yeah, so that was a problem. Um, and I think it shows the general problem in at least the German higher education system that people aren't actually required to have teaching skills. Savannah, is there a contrast there with the United States? Did you have a different experience? Kind of different, of course. You know, um, in the United States, we have like certain like qualifications and things for teaching, which is, I've never known that about like Germany. I don't really know too much. So I, I love that for sharing that. From my own experience, it was kind of like an up and down thing where there were some teachers who just really excelled with online learning and teaching it because they've either done it before or they just are really tech savvy. With my major in particular, I'm very hands-on with everything because, you know, dental hygiene, how am I going to do that online? So with my faculty in particular, we kind of had to transition what would have been clinical online. So to answer your question about um, how I felt about my education, there were areas where I feel like I didn't really benefit as well as I wanted to. I didn't get the entire experience I was hoping for, but that wasn't really an expense to my professors. You know, they did the best they could with what we had, but there's just some things that Zoom can't replace. And so it's kind of just a never ending battle, I suppose. Jonathan, you expressed some frustrations about some aspects of the German university system. Do you sometimes look jealously over the Atlantic, you know, kind of desiring more of a U.S. system? I don't, I don't know, actually, because I, I, I think I don't know too much about the education system in the U.S. No, I, I, I couldn't say that. <laughs> Well, I think a hallmark of the U.S. university system is that it's very expensive. Uh, tuitions and fees can cost up to about $60,000 a year. But it's also known for providing a lot of services to students and, and also having this rich on-campus life. So, Savannah, overall, what do you think were some lessons learned during the pandemic? There was a lot of gaps. I don't know how it was in Germany, but in terms of mental health support, both emotionally and physically, I feel like a lot of college students were kind of worn down overwhelmingly by the pandemic. Um, some of my friends and I, we called it COVID brain. And it's just like you're in this daze almost like all the time because you're constantly going back and forth with, oh, so COVID's really important and we need to make sure we're being safe, but oh my gosh, I have all of this coursework to do, but I'm worrying about the pandemic and things going on at home. Maybe you're of a lower socioeconomic status and you can't really financially do the things that you used to be able to do because you can't be working and things of those sorts. And so I think that a lot of universities can take some lessons from that, such as you know, maybe finding the resources necessary to provide that support to students in the event that they can't afford a laptop to have at home. You know, maybe they're using the school library and they don't have access to one at home. And Jonathan, going off of what Savannah said about mental health, what in your mind were the lessons learned in Germany? So in, in Germany, at lots of universities, there actually are some, you know, support systems for the mental health of, of students. But I think what we've seen in the pandemic is that they're completely underfinanced. There's just not enough. Like at my university, there are four people to support students with their mental health, like 27,000 people. 
it's just not enough. And in the pandemic, obviously, there was a much higher need and they just couldn't cope with it. Jonathan Droisch is a student at the University of Tübingen in Germany, and Savannah Papuga is a dental hygiene student from the University of New Haven in the United States. Thank you so much to both of you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Tearing Down Walls, our transatlantic show on Sunshine Life. In this final part of the show, we'll hear a German and American perspective on restarting cultural life. Joining me first is Detlef Diedrichsen. He heads the Department of Music and Performing Arts at the Haus der Kulturen der Welt, which is a forum for contemporary arts and critical debate in Berlin. Welcome, Detlef. Hi. Berlin is, of course, known for its art scene and cultural life. And with about 60% of the population in the German capital fully vaccinated now, do you think the scene is making a return or on its way to pre-pandemic times? To be honest, we don't know. The truth is uh, we are always having a plan B if we are planning something because no one really can say what is going on in spring or summer next year, whether there are new varieties of the virus or whatever. And so anything should be expected. Right now, yes, we do have program again at our uh, institution. Uh, We do have visitors, we have exhibitions and uh, some people are allowed, but there are still lots of regulations. And these regulations, which makes it more tricky, they change all the time. So we don't know what type of regulation we'll be having in like two weeks. And so we cannot, for example, plan for huge events happening in wintertime. You mentioned having a plan B. I assume that plan A is that everyone can gather in person with certain requirements in place. Are you following what's called in Germany the three G's? So that participants have to be geimpft, genesene or getestete, which is vaccinated against, recovered from or tested negative for COVID-19? Yeah, the new idea is 2G. Uh, which subtracts the tested people in order to get more people vaccinated. So in Hamburg, for example, you are allowed to visit all types of events and even restaurants and whatever that are participating in this uh, 2G concept. And how have your audiences been reacting to the COVID-19 requirements that have been in place so far? We had to have 3G at our uh, summer festival our accidental festival, because normally we have a huge one called Wassermusik in the summertime outdoors, um, which would include lots of international artists, not possible at the moment because of uh, travel regulations. But so we had only Berlin artists and we had less people in the audience and they had to prove uh, that they're vaccinated or tested or recovered. And there were no problems. Everybody was working with our, our uh, staff and, and uh, you know, no, no fightings or, or whatever, which you, of course, had in like public transport every now and then or other public places. And is there something that you've learned from observing other big cities and, and how they manage culture, for example, New York or Los Angeles? Well, not really. It doesn't work like that. I mean, uh, we learned a lot from watching what institutions in general are doing online. And so one of the first things that I personally learned was it is not an option to broadcast live concerts on the Internet. This is really no fun. It doesn't make any sense. And I stopped watching that pretty soon. 
last year. And also we, we never did that because of seeing that and how unnatural and somehow crazy this feels. We never really uh, seriously thought about having an online festival. But the Hot Cafe was producing a series of videos during the lockdown period. So you weren't recording concerts, but it was filming more installations or... Yeah, I mean, um, we did also, for example, a series of um, artists recording digital music. Um, you know, so you can you can look over their shoulder. What are they doing, really? You are you are used to hear digital produced music all the time. You sometimes see it live on stage, but then you only see a person and a and a computer, and you don't really know what they are doing. And so, in this case, we um, we told them to film themselves doing it and to let us participate in their artistic decisions while producing something and. That was a pretty interesting series that you can still find on our website. Um, title is uh, The Disappearance of Music. And are you optimistic? Do you think Berlin will return to its you know, signature rich culture and club life? I don't know. I hope so. I think the tragedy is that there's a lot of people somehow lost now. Uh, they are lost to the world of cultures. They had to decide to do something else and probably will never return to the world of culture. We don't know how many people and uh, whether they might be replaced by the next generation or whatever, but I know personally lots of people who just couldn't uh, make it any longer in the cultural sector and have to, you know, find other jobs. And uh, once they're, you know, settled there, they might stay there. We don't know. Like, like it's, it's the boring same answer to a lot of questions about how the, the pandemic or post-pandemic future will be, but it's the truth. We don't know. Detlef Diedrichsen is the head of the Department of Music and Performing Arts at the Haus der Kulturen der Welt in Berlin. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. You're welcome. Now that we have an idea of how Berlin is coping, we'll go across the Atlantic and check in with the German capital's sister city, Los Angeles. Joining me now is Jessica Gelt. She is an arts and culture reporter for the LA Times. Thanks for being here, Jessica. Thanks so much for having me. Let's start first with the expectations versus the reality of the past few months in Los Angeles, because in a recent article you wrote, quote, hot vac summer hasn't turned out as we hoped. Can you explain a little bit more about why that is? Okay, so we were supposed to have this glorious reopening with no masks and no distance and all of the arts and culture venues opened at full capacity when during the pandemic they were either shut or operating at greatly reduced capacity. Um, Although indoors, it was pretty much a moot point. So even outdoors, they were operating at capacity that sometimes was like 20% or so. Um, So then we had maybe a month of this sort of joyous um, occasion before Delta kind of slammed down on us. And the numbers rose very, very quickly here in Los Angeles. And all of a sudden, you know, we were the first city in in America, I believe, to reinstate the indoor mask mandate for um, vaccinated individuals. And everything kind of sort of collapsed from there and leaving all of the arts organizations who were planning their sort of triumphant returns to stages indoors, just kind of scrambling to figure out if they could even get people inside. Now, looking ahead to the fall, where there will inevitably be more indoor events planned, what are those scrambling plans? What we're seeing is a real hardening line about vaccination only. 
here in Los Angeles. And of course, the country at large is uh, having massive fights over vaccinations and masks. But here in L.A., we're pretty lucky. Um, and it seems the performing arts community, they're coming around to the idea of vaccination only without tests. So sometimes you'll see in the small print, if you have um, a strongly held religious belief is usually the exact wording or you have a medical condition, um, you can opt for a test. But other than that, they're just keep asking for vaccinations only. So like Hamilton, for example, just reopened at the Hollywood Pantages, which is one of our big sort of Broadway venues on Hollywood Boulevard. And they're going to be at full capacity. Uh, they have been at full capacity, but they are strictly uh, vaccination open only. Um, they're not even allowing children under 12 into that venue because they can't be vaccinated. So that seems to be how we're going to handle this. How do you find that theaters and concert halls and other venues are balancing this need to both ramp up ticket sales and get people back in seats while still making sure that they're not contributing to the next super spreader event? So that's been the really terrifying part for everybody I've spoken to. Delta has thrown a wrench into everybody's plans for the exact reason that you state. You know, nobody knows, you know, with Delta and breakthrough infections and the rate of infections that we're seeing here in Los Angeles, you know, what safe looks like anymore. There's no sort of scientific consensus of what safe is beyond, like, let's just get everybody vaccinated you know, and try and move forward. Because the other thing is, most of these venues have been shuttered for going on 18 months, and they don't have the funds. The The pandemic funding is drying up from the government. There's only so long they can, you know, continue to exist in, in a performance vacuum. Um, and nobody's that interested in online, you know, performances anymore. Early in the pandemic, I think it was novel, but I, I don't think you're going to be seeing a lot of interest in people flocking to those kinds of events. You know, they want to go back, but, you know, they're scared. And so, yeah, it's just a really uncertain time. You mentioned that novelty of streaming events certainly fading, but have you seen more innovative approaches in L.A. during the pandemic, ones you also wouldn't mind if they stuck around? Well, the biggest thing in Los Angeles that's been happening that I am thrilled about um, is the theater and performing arts are going outside, you know, Permitting has often been a huge problem in LA, whether it's putting restaurants out on the streets, which we're doing now, or you know, putting a theater in a parking lot. But those permitting rules have become quite flexible in the face of, of the pandemic. And so theaters are, in fact, moving outdoors. And I'm curious also about your personal experience. I mean, how does a cultural writer survive without culture? And what has it been like for you professionally? So the thing that I do, which is usually a really joyful, like wonderful beat, <laughs> sort of turned into this dirge in a way. It was very sad. Um, and yeah, I mean, it took a toll on me emotionally. And yet I will say I do feel that I've done some of the best writing and reporting of my career in the sense that journalists do write the first draft of history. And, you know, we are limiting the pandemic right now um, and how it's affecting uh, the world and the cities we live in. Jessica Gelt is a staff writer for the LA Times. Thank you, Jessica, for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. And thanks, everybody, for tuning into the third edition of Tearing Down Walls. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. This show was produced and edited by me and Monica Müller-Kroll. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. <laughs>